Live in the entertainment capital of the world. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. And Turner in the air, center field, that ball's hit well. Martinez on the run, this is way back, and it is gone! It is a walk-off home run for Justin Turner! The doctor is now in. Well, the doctor's in. He's in Houston once again. Ballpark Frank sitting in the hot seat for the next couple days. A good friend, Mr. Clayton Hamilton, joining me today. Some Olympic talk and uh, lots of other sports as well. Numchuck behind the proverbial glass. Love John Fogarty. Centerfield. Put me in. Saw John Fogarty over at the win. If you want to go see a show that's not one of the big high budget or it's not going to be like, you know, $5,000 to go see the Stones or something like that. Uh, if, if you like that music, very entertaining kind of nice laid back evening I, I think he's going to be doing a residency there again soon so and he does play center field and his son actually joins him on stage and it's always nice to hear somebody that sounds as good live as they do on memorex yeah e- even at his uh, advanced age we're going to be speaking with jim Gemma here in a little bit but real quick the nba draft is tonight want to get your quick thoughts on that because i know you have some what are you most looking forward to what are you most curious about because you know we talk about the draft a lot and it seems like you know, there's not that surefire number one guy anymore. Some of the guys a little bit deeper in the draft could be the next Jokic or Giannis or Giannis or something mm-hmm. like that. I think I said Giannis. Giannis, Giannis, of Giannis. course. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, because some of these Europeans and the three-point shot and some guys are a little bit later bloomers and that kind of stuff today, it seems like you've got to be a, not only a scout, but you've got to be kind of that guy that can uh, look forward to see, like, all right, who's going to develop and be good, not necessarily who's good right now. Yeah, you can talk about Cade Cunningham all day out of Oklahoma State, probably going to go number one to the Pistons. But um, for me, it's really going to be in round two, and I'm looking to Iowa at two guys that I think can be really good impact players, and I don't know if either one of them is going to get drafted tonight. And if they do, it's going to be second round, and they could just be uh, non-roster invitee free agents. And that's uh, NCAA Player of the Year, Luca Gar. Garza, and then his teammate Joe Westcamp. And Joe Westcamp is one of those guys that he can be a Ryan Archidiacono. He plays good defense, hits the three. He's going to be really valuable in an NBA structure. But when you put him through the rigors of a combine, he's probably not a guy that really stands out. But I think he's going to have a really nice and good career, and I just wonder if he's going to get drafted. And I said the same with Luka Garza, that if he goes to the right system, Luka Garza, you can get another Jokic. If he goes to the wrong system, you're going to get another Frank Kaminsky. And that, and that's a wide berth between Nikola Jokic and Frank Kaminsky. It's and, kind of a Grand Canyon. Yeah, and, and so you wonder with a guy like Luka Garza, who some people are like, surefire, can't miss, hard worker, hits the three, uh, can, has post moves, can rebound, distributes, you know, from the top of the key and and down low. And then you have other guys that say he's big, he's slow, he's going to foul too much, uh, guys are just going to run all over him, Luka Garza is going to be a bust, and, and that's the guy that I want to see go to a really, really good situation. I don't think he's going to end up in Denver. Denver needs a wing, 3 and D guy. But if you could imagine, if you could have Jokic and Garza, and you could have Garza learn from Jokic, and you don't have to change your set, when you go to the second string, 
and your second unit, I, I would just love to see what could happen. Him, Mike Malone, Nikola Jokic in Denver. Don't think it's going to happen, but it's my dream. What resonated from me during that um, that, that uh, assessment that you gave of it, Luca Garza, player of the year, but you don't know if he's going to be drafted. Yeah, that, yeah. You don't have to look any farther than that to know what a crazy time we are in for the draft. Yeah, that is that is nuts. <laughs> like, Luca Garza, he's so good at so many things that are really important in the NBA right now. And to see him get a shot, maybe on set on a second unit team like Denver, they tried with a guy like Isaiah Hartenstein, who's not Luca Garza. Uh, I, I, I really I, I want to see where he goes tonight if he goes anywhere. Yeah, and, and again, remember, it's not just like foreign players in that, too, that are question marks. A guy like Steph Curry, a lot of people mm-hmm. peep up past on somebody like that because they didn't know what he was going to be. The three-point line, the NBA game, and the NBA game, just like we're saying, oh, the Team USA is struggling a little bit in the Olympics right now because they don't know the international game. Well, the NBA is different from the international game. It's also a lot different than the college game. Oh, so much different. And so it's going to be fascinating, uh, the NBA draft. My only sadness is that you know the Olympics are on tonight. Normally, I would be 100% be- Beginning of the night to the end coverage of the NBA draft. But tonight, I'll just read about it. I'm going to watch women's gymnastics. Well, you know, another thing that's always fascinating is trade deadline in any sport. Major League Baseball trade deadline is coming up. So I thought this is a perfect chance to get on a good friend of mine. I've known this gentleman for years and years from the Stars days to the 51s days, now the Aviators days. Always been a uh, pleasure to work with and uh, consider him a good friend. My buddy, Mr. Jim Gemma with the Aviators. Jim, thanks for making time today. How you doing out there? Is the uh, Aviators back home for a spell? Frank, uh, thanks for always having me on. Gosh, Las Vegas Stars. That's how long we've known each other. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, when John Sandler used to do the games in that, and it was in the old KORK studios. <laughs> Yes, and uh, the music in the background is uh, terrific. I appreciate that. Well, I I told Numchuck, make sure you got some (laughs) sticks ready to go, because I have to say this. I'm from Chicago. I saw sticks for 50 cents and a can of of food at the Crystal Lake Drive-In before they were anybody. You're the biggest sticks fan I know. (laughs) I've heard that from people. I have somebody that they played at their high school graduation back in Chicago when they were in high school. So, uh... Yeah, I mean, that band's been together since the early 70s, the Panazzo Brothers and Dennis the Young and uh, James Young. Those were the original members, and, you know, Tommy Shaw's been with them since 1976. But I know I didn't call you about sticks, but I appreciate the time on them. <laughs> no, but uh, we did call you about some baseball, and I want to ask you this here. With the trade deadline looming and, you know, you know the, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, does that change the dynamics and the feeling around the team in that? Are guys on eggshells a little bit more? Are, are they looking forward to stuff going on? Are they just kind of waiting for that date to pass so they can 100% focus on baseball again? Or are they always focused on baseball because that's what they do and whatever is going to happen is going to happen? I'm sure uh, they all have that in the back of their mind, especially when uh, Greg Dykeman, who's one of the top prospects of the A's basically got traded in the ninth inning uh, three nights ago in Salt Lake and had to pull him from the game. And uh, I'm a big Jesus Lasardo fan, but not really surprised they traded him. Uh, obviously, they got Marte for him. So this thing's over tomorrow at 1 p.m. And uh, I don't know if any of these guys in AAA are going to be affected if there are any more moves. But, you know, crazier things have happened. Uh, Billy Bean and David Force, the GM of the A's, I mean, they, they wheel and deal. And, uh they have the A's in position to make the playoffs again. So that's what the minor leagues are primarily for is player development, just see how 
many prospects the Yankees have had, uh, you know, to get Joey Gallo, and that's how it works, and that's how the Padres have gotten so good. And uh, right now, you know, our team's 37 and 35. You know, minor league baseball is just happy to be back on the field uh, in 2021. We're 72 games in. We have 58 left. We're playing 130 this year. We're just trying to barrel through the last two months, uh, obviously what's going on now. So uh, with everything with the CDC and our guys have uh, done a great job uh, persevering to this point. We just got to keep going uh, day by day on this. Jim, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts. If you could if you could pull back the curtain for us on an, an event like uh, the Andrew Chafin trade where Greg Dykeman gets, travel, uh, gets traded, what is that process like for you in a job that you have? Like, how much advance notice do you get? Do you find out when we find out on Twitter? What is your process in terms of what you find out and then what steps do you have to take in your position when a guy gets traded? This is not a knock against the A's. It's with the other 29 teams. I probably hear about it 30 seconds before you guys do. So that's just the way it is. I'm I'm the go-between here in Las Vegas. I work with the A's. I'm the go-between between our manager, player development, and just make sure uh, the AAA roster is correct. So a lot of times I'll find out about it the uh, same time uh, everyone else does. But the fact of the matter, you know, Greg Dykeman is the ninth top prospect, and he got traded. But the marks of a good trade in all all sports is uh, both teams should get good people in return, and then that's a mark of a good trade. So in your experience, was the uh, was the Jonah Hill scene in uh, in Moneyball when you tested to trade Carlos Pena? Is that is that a correct assessment of the way things happen? Oh, I'm sure stuff wheels and deals like that. Uh, uh, we love uh, Billy Bean here. That movie was awesome. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. But Billy Bean's been through here f- a few times. Uh, Billy Bean is one of the top executives. And all of MLB, as well as uh, David Force, uh, the GM, you know, the A's uh, keep winning. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of wheeling and dealing going on the last couple of weeks. Of course, the deadline's over tomorrow. You know, with the advent of 2021, I'm not clear on the non-waiver thing in August. I think you can still do that. But as far as uh, distinct trades, uh, the deadline's tomorrow. Ballpark Frank, Clayton Hamilton sitting in, T.C. Martin Show. Check it out at tcmartinshow.com. Join right now with a good friend of mine uh, with the Las Vegas Aviators, been with the club for a long, long time. Jim Gemma, of course, going back to the Stars, the 51s, now the Aviators. Jim, you mentioned how this year you're just trying to soldier through it and get things done, and, you know, so far so good. Everything uh, has been going well out there. Uh, the team competitive at 37 and 35, like you mentioned. I believe they're two games over 500 at home, 18 and 18 on the road. But not to try to bring anything down on this, how difficult was last season? I mean, I know that nobody expected a season where there'd be no minor league baseball, but that's what we saw. I mean, how was that? uh, How difficult was that to get through? And how exhilarating was it to know that this year again you would be back on the field and playing in front of fans? And of course, we still don't know what's going on with that either. There's mask mandates, and there's not a mask mandate. Then there's capacity, and then there's not. So there's still challenging times ahead, but it's got to feel good to at least be back on the field and rolling again. Yeah, we have a two-week homestand through uh, August 10th. Once we get through that, you know, we're pretty much done with the season for us. We're only we're 80% through. We have just 17 home games left, 29 on the road. So we're basically taking this day by day. But it's just great we're talking about this stuff, trade deadlines, what our record is, 37 and 35. Guys are just so excited to be back on the field between the chalk lines. Last year, um, I know a lot of businesses and uh 
industries were really hurt, but really minor league baseball uh, industry in 2020 got destroyed. Uh, there's plain and simple. We're the only professional team in Las Vegas that did not play last year. Uh, there's the other teams did play in, in bubbles. They got to play. We didn't get to play. Uh, the industry hopefully is going to get that bipartisan bill, which needs to be done for. See, a lot of minor league teams are not owned. Uh, you know, we have a great ownership group, the Howard Hughes Corporation, and I want to tell you, we're all grateful. They paid us through the entire 2020 season, and not a lot of minor league teams did that. They, uh, a lot of minor league teams had to, uh, you know, curtail. Uh, you know, scale down their front offices. They're now back up and running. But it was a real trying time for sports and entertainment, period. We're the sports, uh, we're the entertainment capital of the world. You see how bad it hit the uh, the strip with the shows and the concerts and, and, and the sporting events. So, you know, we're back now. So hopefully, uh, you know, with the vaccine rollout, no matter what your uh, opinion is on it, that's the only reason why we're playing since April was because of the vaccine rollout for sports and entertainment. That's why there were 65,000 at Garth Brooks. That's why next month when the Raiders play and into September, I mean, they're going full capacity. Uh, so ho- we're all hoping for the best. But I know it's a long-winded answer, but uh, we're just grateful to be back on the field. 2020 was the worst-case scenario for minor league baseball. It, it can't get any worse. Uh, any case scenario you have, it can't get any worse than last year. When you, can't, when you never even get on the field, nothing can be worse than that. So 2021 has been great. I know the guys are happy to be back on the minor league field, but they want to be on the major league field. When you look out at your roster right now, if you want to tell A's fans who they're going to be falling in love with at the big league level over the next two, three years, what one guy have you got your your eye on? I mean, we've had a few. Um, I still think our pitcher, Dalton Jeffries, he's one of the top prospects for the A's. He had some injuries in spring training, probably would have made the team out of spring training probably the most class professional athlete you'll ever meet. Uh, he's just a terrific person, but he's a right-hander. I assume he'll be called up in September unless there's some injuries between now and then, but he's he's the real deal. He's pitched uh, 59 innings in, in here in Las Vegas. He's walked only nine guys, have 54 strikeouts. Uh, he'll be pitching in the next few days. Uh, he stands out more than anybody since uh, Lissardo was dealt, but still the diamond in the rough still here is left-hander A.J. Puck. A.J. Puck's had a bunch of injury issues. He's six seven. His stuff is awesome. So hopefully uh, the light's coming on for him now. And it's tough. He didn't pitch last year. So I would say Jeffries and Puck are the two that are definitely uh, – the A's definitely uh, have plans for them. Uh, once uh, I, I don't think Jeffries uh, – hopefully he'll keep pitching here. But for him, for his sake, hopefully he'll be up in the big leagues sooner than later. Well, Jim, uh, always appreciate speaking with you and talking some baseball and that kind of stuff. Uh, be nice for the fans to get out to the stadium, like you said, a uh, uh, two-week home stand, and you know, not too many home games left. But tonight, normally people would be excited about because it's Dollar Beer Night. But I know there's something else going on as well because I believe there's a return of one of the most popular people at the ballpark. Well, well not yeah. a person in this well, case. Well, I understand. But now we have $2 <laughs> beer nights here, which is still uh, pretty darn good to promote. On July 29th and August 5th, yeah, we're promoting the next two days. Uh, Finn the Bat Dog will be back Saturday, July 31st. He'll be here for the last uh, nine games of this homestand. And then the other homestand, he'll be a part of this. So we're glad Finn's back uh, and Fred Hassan, his uh, 
his uh, leader, so to speak, uh, his master, I should say. So, uh, yeah, we're glad to have Finn back. That'll be Saturday. Uh, we thank the fans for coming out this year in droves. We're still averaging over 6,000 a game, uh, over 200,000. We're uh, nip and tuck with El Paso for the best uh, attendance in AAA West. So the fans have been great. And what's really in our favor out here, we have an open-air venue. Yeah, and I, I know I've been out there. I haven't been out there as often as I'd like to have been with a lot of stuff, but got to try to get out there again. And I remember when they had the Finn the Bat Dog um, bobblehead night or something, and I had friends that were saying, well, we got to go to the ballpark tonight. It's a bobblehead, and that, that dog is mighty popular. <laughs> well, the players love him. Uh, the players will love to see him back out tonight. Uh, I know guys who played here in 19 really miss him. So it'll be great to have Finn, I uh, should say, out on Saturday. He'll be here game three of the series. So it'll be good to see Finn back. All right, so go out there tonight, enjoy those $2 beers, and, uh, of course, yeah. fireworks on Fridays, Finn the Bat Dog uh, on Saturday. Always a great time at Las Vegas Ballpark. And, Jim, always appreciate the time with you and, uh, you know, respect you and uh, wish you all the best. And uh, real quick, got to close it on this. What about the Oakland A's? What would that mean to Vegas if they come here? Do you think it happens? Well, first of all, the city of Oakland, the A's have been there since 1969. I mean, we're hoping they get something done in Oakland. I think eventually we'll have a major league team here. Uh, it's a tough question to answer because you really need a retractable dome stadium that, like the Diamondbacks have. So that's multiple years away from, from getting done. So we'll see how the next uh, few months play out. All right. Well, appreciate the time, Jim, and hope to see you soon out at the ballpark. And thanks again for playing Renegade. Appreciate it. Oh, you got it. Uh, I, I love Sticks as well. Just even though I, you know, like I say, I've seen him several times in Chicago, but you are the biggest Sticks fan I know, my friend. And, uh, and who knows? Maybe I'll see you at a concert again sometime, too. So, you know. I will be at Sticks in September when they're at the Venetian. So hopefully I'll see you then. I would be surprised if you were not there, my friend. <laughs> Jim Demma there with the Aviators doing a great job out there. And, uh, Go check it out. Aviators got that two-week homestand here. So, uh, you know, always fun at Las Vegas Ballpark. Great food, great environment, and a quality product on the field. And this is a good time of year to go see a, a AAA ball game, too, because you're always kind of looking like who, what players from what teams are going to get those call-ups that might be instrumental in a team's run to or not to the playoffs you know, at the end of the season. Yeah, it's always a, a good time of year. And it, it, things are a little different now with because the, the call-up situation is different with the 40-man the roster like it used to be in September where everybody would go up. But, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of guys going up and down between AAA and always uh, check out. They said it, it, sometimes, too, the end of the AAA season, you get that guy from AA that they want to give an extra week's look at uh, so you can really see the future. That's one of the things that I always thought was actually interesting about AAA because by the time they get to the AAA championship game, it's full of a lot of times double A and single A players because it's not nearly the roster that got them in that position because of the call ups and that, but always a good time. And uh, Aviators competitive this year, and uh, just nice to see the ballpark being used again because I got to tell you, I don't live too far from it. And driving by that thing all year long last year, never seeing a game, a concert, anything going on there, the battle for Vegas or anything. It was uh, it was kind of depressing, So, uh, but it's nice to see the ballpark lit up and activity going on again. And- an empty stadium is as sad as an unplayed with toy. Uh, well, go to the Allen Misfits toys and uh, bring them back, and it goes right back to season one again with the, the Golden Misfits of the Vegas Golden Knights where Clayton and I uh, got the pleasure of doing the first season. But again, Clayton, I know you've done sports talk shows before. I've done them for several years. So we can talk about all different sports, and I want to get your thoughts on this because apparently – the SEC has approved 
not shockingly, but unanimously, bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. Now, there's been some talk of the Big 12 that they're going to find more money for them. If the SEC says yes, and they've already got these plans, I believe this move is pretty much all but done at this point. What does it mean? Does it mean the end of the Big 12? Does it mean littler pieces in the Big 12? Will we now have the power four conferences? What happens? What is your assessment of this situation? Best news possible for the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 will now elevate uh, in status and stature. But I think, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the end of the Big 12, but it could very well be the demise of the Big 12. And you think about what happened to the Big East. Remember when the Big East, they were one, it was, it was almost a power six, right? And you had, you had West Virginia, and you had uh, Notre Dame in basketball, and you had Syracuse, and you had those, those football-centric schools, Virginia Tech, Miami was in, was in the Big East. And when all of those teams jettisoned to the ACC, the other parts of the country, it diminished the quality of of the Big East, and I think and the Big East basically became just a basketball. It became a school. basketball school, right? And they ended up getting, they got, you know, uh, Creighton and Marquette. You know, like uh, they, they sort of expanded in a different direction and became a basketball power. And I think that's probably what's going to happen with the Big Twelve. I I don't love the expansion of conferences to to being sixteen, but I think it's coming. The biggest problem lies within the NCAA football championship and the rules and the protocols in which they put in place to have those champions. And to only have a four team playoff is at the heart of this problem. And if you had a conference champion is in from the Power Five, which I think ultimately there's enough good football players you could expand to have a really have a Power Six with the with the addition of the American Conference if, if you really put the resources into that. And I think going smaller is worse than than going bigger. And both Texas and Oklahoma, they have uh, board meetings on Friday, mm-hmm. tomorrow, so they're expected to uh, to vote to join that. It's also interesting to me that the timing of all this is going on right as college athletes are now about to be able to get paid. And I'm wondering if does being in one of the Power Four conferences make it more lucrative to go to one of those schools since they are so good? Or we've seen a lot of the stuff for some of the smaller schools in California in that uh, I, I know there's a, a couple girls on one of the softball or volleyball teams or something that they've already got a big Instagram thing in that. So is that necessarily going to be that you need to be in a power school to get the most money? Or is it just going to be creativity? Are there going to be courses and classes now on how to maximize your Mm. earning potential on TikTok and other things? I mean, everything that we knew about college sports, including geographic location of where things were is completely gone now like you mentioned with the big east with creighton and schools like Mm -hmm. that with the big 10 and oh wait here's rutgers in maryland and it's like nothing forget about geography or anything like that anymore it's a completely different landscape all across college i don't think in terms of earning potential for an athlete that it makes much of a difference for the kids that go to texas and oklahoma texas and oklahoma are blue blood they are a high brand product anyway. So if they're in the Big 12 or if they're in the SEC, I think that matters not. What it could make a difference to is a school like Houston or Cincinnati. So if you're in Cincinnati, if you're Cincinnati today and you're the Bearcats, you're thinking to yourself, Big 12, Big 12, Big 12. If you're Houston, you're like, Big 12, get me into that higher bracket 
tiered money in terms of television revenue and exposure and it worked for baylor look at what baylor's been able to do it worked for tcu remember when they were a smaller conference they went to the big 12 and all of a sudden they became something and that's i think what houston and memphis and cincinnati are all looking at because now there are spots open in a power five conference the question will be does the Power Five in the Big 12 maintain its status, or does it become the Big East? You know, it's interesting, too, because you bring up Cincinnati, and this just popped in my head, this thought, because we were talking earlier about UNLV's got to establish what they want to be. Mm-hmm. Are you a basketball school? Are you a football school? Where do you want to build your reputation in that? Cincinnati basically used to be a basketball school. It was nothing. Nick Van Exel and people like that way back when. Mm-hmm. They had so much success at basketball and with Huggins there when he was the coach in that that then they morphed into becoming a pretty good football school as well. So when you're saying like UNLV's got to decide, it doesn't mean that down the road you can't have success in multiple programs, like you said with Baylor, but you've got to pigeonhole and be known for one. And then if you have success at one, the word gets out to the other programs as well. So, And, and I just want to get your thoughts on that. Do you agree with that statement? Because I hate when people say, well, they're a basketball school or football school. Ohio State and Florida played each other in the national championship in both football and basketball in the same season. Mm-hmm. You can be both, but I agree with you. But when I think of Cincinnati, I still think of when I was younger and it was a basketball school. Mm-hmm. Their football program was nothing. That is, a, that is a great point, Frank, in that you can morph one to the other and in in Cincinnati's case they went basketball school to now they're basketball football look at Miami look at the University of Miami the U that is a football school first it was a baseball school second it was a track school third then it was a basketball school but Jim Laranaga came in it became a basketball school so you can do it either way but I think you're right. It is easier because of the resources that it takes to run a basketball program to go basketball and become a football program than it is the other way around. Uh, I Particularly say- if you're not already a, a power. Like if, you're, like if you're Iowa and you're like a football school and then they've, they've become a better basketball school, that, that's, that's fine and that's easier if you're already a football power. But if you're not a football power, which UNLV, I think we can all agree, is not a football power. No. So start with basketball. Become a really, really good basketball school. Let basketball be your invitation to the Pac-12 when it becomes the Pac-16. Or let it be your invitation to the Big 12 when the Big, now it was an 8, now becomes 10 again or 12. It's a very hard numbers game to play, Frank, in terms of their titles. That's why it would actually be nice if they were just all, and I know the Pac-12 said they don't need 16 teams, but if you're going to have a power four, just have them all get 16 teams, whether they need the divisions or whatever, mm-hmm. and then we don't have to... Uh, the the Big Ten can still be the Big Ten, whether it's got 16 or 12 or 10 or 8 or whatever. Nah. It's like, you don't have to change the name every time you do it, because it doesn't make any sense right now. But yeah, have a little bit of symmetry, have the cohesiveness, and then admit, like, okay, one of these schools is going to play for the national championship. The other one, make your own junior championship. The also-ran conferences. What a, you're not going to call them that. You're going to try to make it sound more glamorous. But let's just be honest about what it is. And all these people that go, well, Vanderbilt, well, why would they want to be there? Why would Northwestern? Because they're still one of those conferences and they're still getting a boatload of money. They are getting a boatload of money. And at least they have a chance. Like For, for even as, as ridiculous as it is to have Northwestern play in the college football playoff or or Vanderbilt if Vanderbilt goes undefeated in the SEC and wins the SEC championship they're going to go and and it's 
It's still the SEC champion. And Northwestern's had quality teams here and there. I mean, it can happen. You mm-hmm. know, lightning can strike. It does seem easier in basketball. One player or two players can all of a sudden make a completely turn a program around. You know, long before there was Peyton Manning at Tennessee, there was the Bernie and Ernie mm-hmm. show. And again, I'm dating myself, but hey, I'm old. I, 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 I deal with it every day. But even for a, for a team like or a school like UNLV, if they went to an expanded Pac-12, 14, Pac-16, whatever you want to call it, you can still be a basketball predominant school and have success there. Look at Arizona. Arizona is a basketball school in the Pac-12. UCLA is a basketball school in the Pac-12. USC is a football school in the Pac-12. Right. They're, they're very rare that they're to Washington and Oregon. You think about being a basketball and a football program, or maybe Utah being a basketball and a football program. But most of them, they're either sort of either one or the other. And if you want to survive and be and be relevant and get that invitation to the to the Pac-12, being a very good basketball school is important to a lot of those other basketball schools in terms of what their national RPI is. And it's kind of funny too because you know when you when you talk about basketball or football school, and like I say, it kind of drives me crazy when people talk about that, but it is a reality. You can have some schools, you could argue right now that from a success rate, Oklahoma's basketball program is ahead of their football, but they will always be known as a football school. When they hired Lon Kruger, they basically threw so much money at him saying, make us competitive, make us something to do when football's not here, but they still concentrate on football. Even when their football program is down, they still consider themselves a football program. I think Oklahoma could win the basketball NCAA championship. And they would say, well, that was nice. Now, when does football start? Yeah, it could be. But look at, <laughs> look at what they've, they've produced at Oklahoma, though. Buddy Heald, Blake yeah, Griffin, what, they, Trey they've Young. They've had great players, yeah. and they've had good teams that have been tournament teams in that. But... People still don't think of them as a basketball school. And it's the same thing for UCLA. UCLA could win the national championship in football, and it's still a basketball school. You'd be like, oh, well. That was, that was nice. Yeah. That was how, nice. How many did John Wooden win in basketball? Exactly. Talk to us then. Exactly. But like I said, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with having an identity and, and starting. And that's what it, I feel like UNLV has really dropped the ball on, That especially when, when they were the only game in town. And now, now that they're competing for the entertainment dollar with, with the Aces and with the Aviators and with the Raiders and the Golden Knights and a potential NBA team and the potential of the Oakland A's and, and all of the prize fighting and MMA that goes on here, that you have to create that identity. Identity. And so just create it because Thomas and Mac can be electric again. And it takes a high profile coach with a couple of good recruits that you can get to stay here for more than one year. Well, and not to take a shot at UNLV because that's not my intent here at all. But I've literally heard people say, if you want to check out Allegiant Stadium, go to a UNLV football game. Don't try to go to a Raider mm-hmm. one or a Garth Brooks concert or something else where you're going to have to walk two miles to get there because the parking's a nightmare, a disaster, this, that, and the other. You know, when your selling point is come here because we have room for you, mm-hmm. that's not exactly what you're shooting for. Right. And, and like I said, you can, you can do it, UNLV. You can do it. It's there you for you. You can do it. Right? You, just, <laughs> you have to put the resources in and say, hey, we're going to make a conscious decision. And the number one selling point of our school is going to be basketball. And the number two selling point of our athletics program is going to be baseball. And then we're going to deal with football. The resources are in the starting gate. Oh, wait, that's the resources. So yeah, my bad. because they've, they've, got the, they've got the goods when it comes to baseball players. And, and they've got the, they, can, they can get the goods when it comes to basketball players. Absolutely. You can do it! All right. 
T.C. Martin Show. Check it out, tcmartinshow.com. Pictures, interviews, all sorts of stuff there. T.C. also likes to write stories and uh, let you know what's going on. And I'm sure he'll be posting something from down in Houston. Uh, he did not bring his garbage can, so he will not be beating the drum there because he said it's not necessary. He's probably going to go get some good food with Dusty Baker because um, Dusty Baker likes the food. I'm sure we'll see, we will see pictures of it all over the place. All right, when we come back, we are both big Olympic fans. We've talked about some of the stuff going on. I'll be watching again this evening as well. But the jewel of every Olympics, Summer Olympics, obviously not the winter ones, though it would be funny to watch a 100-yard dash on ice, um, track and field, we're going to talk about that and some other things. Kind of give a look at that, because I know, Clayton, you are all over that, and I know I'm looking forward to the pole vault, because maybe the greatest pole vaulter of all time competing, it's not Sergey Bupka. I saw him live in Chicago once. It was awesome. He was so smooth. The guy that's around today... Just as smooth, and I don't see how you beat him, but unless it's pole breaks or something. We'll talk some more Olympics here. T.C. Martin Show, tcmartinshow.com. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin. What a whipping post. Yes. Almond Brothers. Oh, the funk is out of the studio. It's down in Houston with T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, my good buddy Clayton Hamilton, Numchuck behind the glass, playing music that I actually resonates with me. You know why? This, this is music for adults. Oh, yeah. That's why. Or in Numchuck's case, adulteresses as well. But, uh, you know, adults do enjoy it. So, yes. But uh, uh, going to get some Olympic talk here. Real quick, got to throw this stuff in because it is a little breaking news breaking stuff news. going on. You know, TC loves that breaking news sounder. Numchuck right on top of it there, you know, doing a great job for us today. Appreciate all the hard work that he's doing back there. But a little bit of news going on, ancillary things, and I'm going to throw them one, two, or three at you, and then just give quick thoughts on each one. Rizzo going to the Yankees. Shocking. Looks like Westbrook is going to be going to the Lakers. Depressing. And what was the other one? I forgot. There was another one that I was going to throw in there as well. But, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot of stuff going that, on. So, it's, oh, Scherzer looks like he's going to the Padres. Yeah, that's disappointing. I The, the Padres, uh, the, uh, San Diego is the most overrated city in America to begin with you know, as, me, as a me, place. Me and my best friend are the only two people I've ever known that have gone to Petco Park and did not like it. Petco Park is ridiculous because you shouldn't build a new stadium that has restricted view seating, which it does. But it, it is hard to get to, and it's everything about San Diego, I, I know I'm in the minority, and everyone tells me it's the greatest place on earth. I Most overrated city in America. And so I don't really like seeing the Padres get better. I really don't like seeing the Lakers get better. So Westbrook to the Lakers, even though going the other direction, Harrell, Kuzma, and uh, Contagion Caldwell Pope, which I think makes the the Washington Wizards better. I think this is a good trade for the Wizards, uh, and it's a good trade for the Lakers because the Lakers are going to get extraordinarily better to have a facilitator and a guy that can score from the perimeter. But have, have the Yankees shifted... Their playoff hopes and World Series hopes now. See with Rizzo and the shift. I yeah, exactly. Well, Rizzo, I really like for them because Rizzo, at least, is a, is a good. He's a contact guy. I, I wasn't crazy about Joey Gallo, which was the first domino to go to the Yankees because the Yankees have plenty of strike and miss guys. Yeah, he's a swing and a miss. He's or a, a swing and a miss guy. He's feast or famine at the plate. He doesn't give you great 
upgrade in terms of center field defense. So I, I didn't love that. I would have liked to have seen them go get a guy like Charlie Blackman from the Rockies, although I don't think he was uh, the, the, the Rockies are going to make him available. But a player more of the Charlie Blackman ilk to the Yankees makes more sense to me than a Joey Gallo. But I think Rizzo really, really helps their situation. And he's a really good first baseman, too. I, mm-hmm. I don't think he gets enough credit for his defense. He, he's a good defensive first baseman. And especially since with the, all of the injuries that they've had at first base, you know, Ford with uh, with vote with like all of the problems that they've seen there he's done going to provide some stability now the question will be do the red sox counter and get the chris bryant deal done to go to boston could be interesting could be fun next hour or a couple hours well i know deadline another thing that's always fun and we could have done the whole two hours on this coming up Mm -hmm. but we didn't want tc angry down in houston so we're saving it for now Olympics. Yes. We've talked about some of the sports that have been going on. I could cover a lot more of those as well. But track and field has yet to start. We are both huge track and field fans. Love the sprints. Love the distance races. Mm-hmm. I love the field events, you know. Uh, Al Order, a lot of people don't know who he is except, oh, he's a guy that won some gold medals. Huh? Maybe the greatest Olympian from the United States of all time. With all the golds he won and all the Olympics he appeared in. I like the hammer throw, the javelin, uh, different things out there. Pole vault is exciting. Uh, Vashtay Cunningham competing in the high jump once again. But track and field, what do you make of it? How excited are you? And what are your key can't-miss events, even though you don't have Peacock? Yeah, <laughs> there are there are a couple of can't miss events and one we will start in the field because I know that you like the field and are big and ready for the pole. Well, I used to throw the discus back in eighth grade. Yeah, the, nice. <laughs> I'll order for for discus gold medals. Uh, the shot put Ryan Krauser. And a fellow American, Joe Kovacs, probably going to go 1-2. But Ryan Krauser just set the world record in the U.S. Olympic trials for the shot put. And he knew it as soon as he threw he knew it. it as soon as his, he threw his exuberance, it. as soon as it left his hand, he was celebrating knowing that he had just thrown the and, throw of his life. And here's the thing. The shot put is 16 pounds. It is the same weight as a bowling ball. Right? So if you want to know how far he threw it. And imagine, the heaviest bowling ball. Imagine this. You are at the free throw line of a basketball court with a bowling ball in your hand. You turn around and throw it through the hoop on the other side of the court. Past half court, past the other foul line, into the court. That's how far the world record is with the shot put. So that's how far he's throwing a bowling ball from one foul line across half court, across the other foul line, into the hoop. That had put a hell of a dent in the in the basketball. Floor. It was, but you, you, sometimes you lose perspective <laughs> no, on, no, on no, what these no, guys that, are doing. That's actually a really yeah. good analogy, and, yeah. and that's how far it is 76, uh, 76 feet eight and one quarter inch. Yeah, we see basketball coaches saying, "Don't throw a pass that far because yeah. you're going to turn it over." I mean, think, this think, guy's think, throwing a sixteen pound shot put. Yeah, think about the guys that throw throw the basketball at the, the end of the quarter and come short of of the hoop. Yeah. And this guy's throwing a, a bowling ball in effect. That's 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 a good analogy. I that, like that one. That is the one. And then on the track, I'm telling you, Frank, the race not to miss. Men's 400 meter hurdles. Five of the six fastest guys in history are going to be 
in this race, including world record holder Karsten Warholm from Norway. It's really going to be against him against Rye Benjamin out of USC. And when you think of Norway, you don't think of sprinters no. and hurdlers and you know necessarily no. track guys. You don't, you don't. Unless you're talking a distance race or something yeah. more. And in the distance races, you're going to see the Ingebrigtsen brothers, uh, Philip and Jakob, uh, most notably other than you know their, their, their older brother there. But uh, but Jakob Ingebrigtsen is going to run uh, the 1500. He might run the 5000 as well. And here's a guy from Norway that can beat the Kenyans and he said that he became a runner because cross-country skiing was too easy it was just it wasn't a challenge so take he became the skis a- off and let me run imagine we hear a lot of people saying how in California you're running the sand to build up your strength mm-hmm. imagine what running in snow right. does to your leg muscles yeah but yeah I tell you the 400 meter hurdles the Carson Warholm and it's Rye Benjamin out of USC and then Allison De Los Santos from Brazil Chiron McMaster out of the British Virgin Islands and Abderrahman Samba from Qatar and these guys every single one of them is capable of breaking the world record and that's five guys for three medals and one record now when it comes to something like that will we get the proper coverage and respect for it without a bunch of Americans in that field there well there will be rye benjamin and he he's the second fastest guy or or the third fastest guy in history second fastest guy was kevin young former world record holder at carson warholm just broke but yes the the track and field they are going to run all of the prelims the problem is they're going to run the prelims on nbcsn in the morning like three o'clock in the morning here and then they'll run the uh prime time they'll run the swim the uh the finals it'll be very much like the swimming coverage so you will get to see it if uh if you're up at three in the morning or dvr it uh to see the the semifinals and the the heats and whatnot but it should be like i said that's going to be a good race and on the women's side in the 400 meter hurdles frank it's delilah muhammad against sydney mclaughlin two americans outside chance for anna cockerel out of usc and femka bowl from the netherlands but the last three times that delilah muhammad and sydney mclaughlin have run against each other it's taken a world record to win you brought up something else here that I don't think a lot of people really realize or think about that much. Because when it comes to the Olympics, because the fields are so big, and a lot of people that have no shot of a medal are so representing their countries because they get to be an Olympian from their country. But just like we see in the swimming and that sort of stuff, there are the preliminaries, and there's the quarterfinals, semifinals. Depending on how many people are in the field, you know, you might have more and more heats that you have to run. So when you watch these preliminaries and the semifinals and that kind of stuff, frequently the person that wins in the finals isn't necessarily one of the top people. Once they know they're in, you'll see guys back off and that sort of stuff. Some people want to win a race. Some people want a better time. Some people want to maybe play that mental game or whatever. But it is interesting knowing how much do you put out in each one Mm -hmm. of those preliminary races to make sure that you still have your best performance left. It's a fine line that you have to draw because you don't want to give too much and be burnt out mm-hmm. for the end, but you've got to give enough to make sure that you're in that final. Yeah, and, and you'll see that a lot in the distance races of try, how much how much energy can I conserve? And you'll see the, the people from some of the countries that, that are not favorites, and you'll see them going all out versus somebody that's not. But it's just about survive and advance, and especially in these hurdles races, trying to avoid disaster. You look at Omar McLeod, world record holder in the 110 hurdles from from jamaica he hit a hurdle in the uh jamaican trials out and didn't didn't qualify for the team and you see a lot of that sometimes in the relay races because you drop the baton or have a handout that goes out outside of the zone or something like that you can be done before you even start and frequently in the relays the, the team that's in the first or second preliminary 
might be completely different than the team that you put mm-hmm. on the track for the final. And what should be interesting and fun about the track events, Frank, is it, you know we had talked about how you weren't sure what to expect <clears throat> with the way the past year has has really played havoc with a lot of training and a lot of events that have been canceled worldwide. Folks on the track got a pretty regular schedule this year because the indoor season went off uh, pretty much without a hitch, and the Diamond League resumed, and they were able to. I do love these, the Diamond League. They were I able watched to that do so much. All of the Diamond Leagues leading up, and there was uh, eight Diamond Leagues leading up. So the the folks on the track have had a relatively normal season in comparison to other Olympic sports. So these guys should be about at their at their peak, and I would expect maybe maybe fewer upsets in track than we've seen in swimming, fencing you know, all of the other events. We've seen a lot of world records dropping in the swimming. I was wondering how it would be, but in the pool and that, maybe it's a little bit different without the fans. No fans in the stands for track and field. Will that affect anything as far as people getting up and sometimes that crowd brings you through or something and brings you to the finish line? Or because it's the Olympics, are we going to see world records dropping left and right? I think we have better shot in the sprints than you do in the distance races. I think those distance because races... Because those are tactical. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah, the distance races are going to be tactical. Sometimes, you know, in the Diamond Leagues and that, you see people that are trying to run a qualifying time. So they'll have that pace setter. They will really try and get out and run a, a certain time. There are no pace setters. They're, they're in the Olympics. They're banned. No, no, like you're going to see in the Diamond Leagues or in anything else. So it's all tactical. And you also don't have that, that crowd push when you might need them on the backstretch of the last you know 200 meters or so all right let's get to one of the events that you know i'm really looking forward to mm-hmm. can anybody beat mondo in the pole vault mondo Duplantis out of the sec lsu a uh, pole vaults for switzerland world or, or not switzerland's for sweden a world record holder and he's worn some lsu shirts and that kind of he, stuff in the past when he's been doing stuff as well so i mean he's a proud tiger he is a proud tiger national champion down there but uh, he at least has a competitor in in world uh, world champion sam kendricks and he and sam kendricks have gone back and forth uh, over the past two three seasons and kendricks is really really, really good, good. And, he's and, just not as good and as they DePlantis. and they've been one two one two one two but more most recently, a recent form this year, it's been Duplantis 1, Kendricks 2, and that's been pretty standard for really the majority of the early season. But I expect one of those guys to break the world record. I don't know who, but I think that's going to be, that's going to be, as they would say of the BBC, a real ripper of a final. So if you could bet an exacto for pole vault, it would be a no-brainer? It would be a no-brainer. But you know what? It's going to be – that's one of those uh, that you're like, oh, man, I hit the exacto and it paid $8. Like, yeah. you know, it's the, <laughs> might, might pay like four twenty. <laughs> that's true. The women's pole vault, though, is going to be really good. Kathy Najat and uh, Sandy Morris uh, from the U.S. and uh, Katerina Stefaniti uh, from Greece, who trains at Ohio State and went to Stanford. Uh, the three of them are right at the top, and they've been trading wins back and forth among the three of them all season. So women's pole vault, men's pole vault, going to be great. What about long jump, triple jump, things like that? Because, again, when you think of those events, you're always thinking of the sprinters doing so well, like the Carl Lewis's and Jesse Owens going way back and that sort of stuff. Seems to me like the long jump is more really the sprinter. The triple jump is a tricky thing because you've got to have the sprinting capability, but you've also got to have the dexterity mm-hmm. and everything else. It's a, it's kind of, to me, almost a, an underappreciated skill set that you have there. I know some people call it the hop, skip, and a jump, but when I watch it, it just amazes me how far these 
these people travel. And uh, hop, skip, and a jump, which is what they called it in 1896. John Conley of the United States, Irishman out of Boston, won the very first gold medal in that event, 1896. But in this year's, uh, Yulimar Rojas out of Venezuela is the premier favorite on the women's side in the triple jump. She's going to be fantastic. But Javon Harrison, another LSU Tiger, SEC represented huge in this uh, event. He's going to do the long jump and the high jump. And the last person That's an interesting the last person to compete in both the long jump and the high jump was Jim Thorpe in 1912 at Stockholm Games. All right. So we have that gentleman competing in both of those events. What about the people that are competing in the decathlon, which used to be known as the world's greatest athlete? I don't know if there's jokes made about it these days with Caitlyn Jenner and everything else out there. I know John Belushi did the things of mm-hmm. years ago where I travel and I eat little chocolate donuts, and that's his, <laughs> his thing. Still one of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits. But the decathlon is still one of the most grueling events, and you talk about everything. And what's interesting about the decathlon is it's not just how you do in every event because you're going to have strong events and weak events and that kind of stuff, but you got to make sure that if you want the gold or if you want to be on the on the podium at all, You've got to be at least proficient and decent in everything. Yeah, and you can't bomb out in the field events. You know, you, get, you only get three throws, and you'll get three attempts uh, at each height in the high jump and the pole vault. So if you miss a height, if you don't get a score, or if you foul out in the discus, the javelin, or uh, where the shot put, uh, that'll completely ruin your chances. Shawnee Miller-Rebo, who runs for uh, the Bahamas, she's going to be the favorite in the 200. Her husband, Michael uh competes for Estonia he should be uh, pretty prevalent in the decathlon but that his wife in the women's 200 a lot of times you talk about the 100 meters being the race to see but on the women's side it's really the 200 meters between Shawnee Miller-Rebo and Dina Asher-Smith out of Great Britain who's beaten everybody this year Shelly Ann Fraser-Price from Jamaica who's the returning 100 meter champion and Elaine Thompson who's the returning 200 meter champion from Jamaica and and always uh, Marie-Jose Toulou out of the Ivory Coast so there's about 12 women that could win a medal in that race and there's only going to be eight lanes. So somebody's getting left out in the semifinals. So all of that is going to be fantastic. Yeah. Well, like I say, I mean, we could talk 800, 1500, decathlon, all that kind of stuff, uh, the, the marathon. But I know you wanted to talk about baseball as well. Yes. Just one more thing, though, before we move on about track and you think about how fast these guys are. Think about somebody like Trenton Holiday played in the NFL, right? And he ran in the, uh, in the Olympic trials. And every, all those football broadcasters used to say about him that he has world-class speed. Right, he didn't have world class speed. Those football guys have eliminated in the semifinals or eliminated in the heats at the U.S. Olympic trial speed. So you're going to see real speed when these guys hit the track. Willie Gold had world class speed back in the day because he was a track guy who became a football player. Yeah, I'm so I'm looking forward to that. Also looking forward to the baseball tournament. Some some fellas that you will be familiar with on Team USA, the Todd father. Todd Frazier, playing third base uh, for Team USA, got released by the Pirates earlier in the year. And also Daniel Robertson, who used to be the closer for both the Yankees and the White Sox, he's going to be on that team. And and the baseball guy that I'm most sad I'm not going to get to see was Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey was on Team USA that got him through the qualification, pitched so well that the Oakland A's signed him to a contract. So he's unable to play and unavailable. But that baseball tournament should be pretty good. Also, Ian Kinsler 
going to play for Israel. You know, you haven't seen Ian Kinsler in a while or Ryan LaVarnway, another guy playing for Israel. And then maybe see some of the uh, stars of the future as well as a lot of minor league players mm-hmm. are going to be there. So maybe somebody that you'll see at Las Vegas Ballpark soon. And Eddie Alvarez, who got a gold, or got a silver medal in uh, short track speed skating at the uh, Winter Olympics, going to make his summer debut second baseman in the Marlins organization. So there you go. A lot of Olympic coverage, and uh, I know I'm looking forward to it all, and uh, hopefully uh, you will as well. And you don't have to remember all the names or whatever, but when you see a name out there and you're going, hey, wait a second, and we went through the whole track and field without talking about Shikari. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a shame she's not going to be there. No, nope, eh, her Olympic dreams went up in smoke. That's true. All right, that is going to do it for us. Thanks to Jim Gemma for joining us. Thanks to my good friend Clayton Hamilton. Good seeing you again, man. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Coming out of retirement for the day. It was good. You know, I think uh, think uh, TC's going to be gone again uh, next weekend, Thursday and Friday. So maybe we can do it again. Yeah, a little more, uh, A little more stuff. Yeah. We'll find out what happens. I'm available. Chris Wynn will join me tomorrow. Ken Thompson also going to be on with us. And who knows who else? We know who's not going to be here. TC Martin. He's down in Houston. Banging the garbage can with Dusty Baker. Thanks for listening. Check out the show, tcmartinshow.com. Talk to you tomorrow at 2.